Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerville, a church situated in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that it will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. As the Proverbs 27 17 say, um, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So sharpening requires some effort, right? Anyone of you seen uh, iron being sharpened, uh, swords being forged in the movies? Like you guys have seen it? I'm sure no one's seen it in real life. Uh, if you have, then that's pretty cool. Um, but that, that forging takes uh, a force. It, takes, it requires heat and a, a bunch of different things to get that, that, that sword sharpened. And so for us as believers, we want to be sharpened. We want to be forged. We want to move in a direction. We don't want to be passive. And that's really uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning in our series that we're kicking off, Moved with Compassion. And so just a few, few uh, opening statements and, and thoughts. Moving requires, like I said now, with a, a sword that is being forged, moving requires a force, a form of power. Right? If something, if anything moves, if your car moves, it needs force, it needs power to get it going. One force driving the object from a, one point to another. Force requires that, that, that moving an object from one point to another, there's movement. Now there's various things that can move us. For example, religion tries to get people moving by using fear of punishment. I know some of you have experienced that way, where people are being tried to be moved for fear of punishment. Even receiving Christ for fear of punishment. That's not a good motivation. That's not God's heart for us to be moved because of a fear of punishment. Then the world tries to get people moving by using the fear of man. What do I mean by that? Fear of man trying to please everyone. Let's not say too many things because I don't want to offend that person. And so it moves us into having specific viewpoints and it moves us to, to make even life-altering decisions because of fear of man. If our moving isn't impacting eternity, it's futile. I'm going to say that again because either someone missed it or uh, someone got offended. So I just want to make sure you are offended. If, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm, uh, my intention is not to offend you, but uh, Jesus offended people. Because the truth offends people. Especially if you're believing something different to what you're hearing. So it's offensive. But praise God, when we embrace a truth that is maybe different to what I've believed up until this point, if it's a truth from God and that truth is going to set me free, I'm all for embracing it. However challenging it might be, however long I've believed something different. Man, eternity and fruitfulness... It's too much on my heart that I'm going to settle for something mediocre or something that I've believed or heard for most of my life before embracing something new that's not pulling away from Jesus. Something new that is pointing more to Jesus and to more fruitfulness. I want to embrace that. So if our moving isn't impacting eternity, it's futile. That's a loaded statement. There's a lot of things to consider with that statement. God moved because of love. And to impact our eternities. And so should we as his sons and daughters. Be moved and moved because of love. And in order to impact eternities. Because there's a lot of people doing things under the umbrella of love. Doing good deeds. 
feeding the poor, sheltering the homeless, all of those things. And that's good. But if that does not come with giving people the source of life, Jesus, you're not doing the people a justice. You're not doing them justice. So it's important to consider both aspects. The natural is important, yes. But the supernatural more so. Because eternity is longer than this life that we have here on earth. Whether it's 80 years, 90 or 100 years. God moved because of love and in order to impact our eternities. And so should we because we are created in His image and in His likeness. Now we're talking about being moved with compassion. I just want to look at this word for a moment and, and just consider a few things with that. Compassion. What does compassion actually mean? I love this definition. Compassion means to suffer together. <clears throat> to suffer together. That's truly what compassion means. It's to suffer together, to see yourself in other person's footsteps. But think about this. When we as believers have compassion on someone else, and seeing their state, it's also realizing that we have the solution to their problem. And also then choose to move. Because as believers, you can maybe know intellectually, hey, I've got the solution. Jesus, relationship with Jesus is your solution. Growing and understanding for, of your purpose, that's your solution. I can know that. But if I don't move, it means nothing to the person. Right? You guys get that? Like, it's, it's not good enough to, to, to know something and to, to see that this is your solution. You keep quiet about it. And that's often what we do, going through our lives, knowing what the solution is to the world's problems, which is Jesus, coming to light, coming to life in relationship with God. But we don't do much about bringing that solution to the world. If we consider God's compassion, we see that firstly, God's love, His compassion, it's sacrificial. It doesn't consider the cost of loving. Often we consider the cost of loving by saying, but what if they don't receive? What, what if, what if they, they laugh at me? What if our, our friendship goes down the, the drain? I shared a, a challenging truth with someone on Friday morning at Omanacare and um, they were sharing how they've got a, a, a good friend and this friend is, is of another faith and then they, they haven't necessarily considered sharing with that person because they don't want to ruin the friendship. If that friend is not a believer, your friendship is very temporal. Consider this. You've got a very good friend and you go visit their house and you have a great cup of coffee, enjoy some cake maybe, and just as you leave the house, you see a black mamba sailing into through the back door. And you're like, oh, shame. Good luck. <laughs> At least I'm not living there. At least I don't have to stay there with the black mamba in that, in that house now. Would, would, would you be a good friend if you had that approach? You'd be a horrible friend. That's a hard analogy, I know. It's a challenging analogy. 
But if your friend is an unbeliever, you not talking to them about Jesus is like you not telling your friend about a black mama in the house, leaving it there. God's love is sacrificial. It does not consider the cost of loving. What if your friendship goes to ruin, but you sowed a seed? Your friendship is maybe to ruins. Maybe they reject the friendship. You've sowed a seed. But one day when you come into eternity, you meet that friend there. They receive Christ because of the seed you sowed. Your friendship was no longer on earth, but guess what? You're going to have a friendship for eternity. That's how we need to start thinking when we're stepping out and when we're considering sharing and loving people in order to impact their eternities. God's kind of compassion always moves. It doesn't just move when it's convenient, when it's easy, when it's fun, when you get recognition. It always moves. Compassion always moves. God's kind of love always moves. God saw a problem and knew what the solution was and then he solved the problem. Now two, so we, we have the solution. So when we see a problem, we get to choose whether we're going to move or not. Moved with compassion and moving with compassion in more simpler forms is actually just being moved by the Spirit. So we're going to look at that a little bit. But before we do, I want to invite you guys to to do a little bit of a declaration with me. So what is the declaration? The declaration is a, is a, is a, is a form of vocally speaking for something. Because just sitting there and receiving a truth might not hit home as much as you hearing something and you speaking it out and declaring, I want to I wanna step out on this. I want to partake in this truth share. I want to, in a sense, keep myself accountable even to this, this truth share. So whether you want to partake of this, whether you don't want to, um, it's not for, for me, um, but this is, a, this is the declaration. So I'm going to read a few sentences out, and if you want to follow with me or repeat after me, then you're welcome to do so. And it's again, it's not about repeating the words for the sake of repeating the words. It's about considering what you're saying, considering what is being said, and taking it to heart. It's like a, whenever I'm at a, at a wedding and I, and I conduct a ceremony, and I chat to the couple before and I tell them that and then on the day even like I remind, remind them that when you're going to speak forth these vows, take it to heart. It's not just about repeating after, it's not just about saying words. It's about meditating on the, the, the magnitude and the intensity of what is happening here, taking it to heart and speaking it out. And so whether you repeat these words or not, whether... However you do it, do it from your heart because that is what brings about fruitfulness. So the first one, I'm a disciple of Jesus and purposing my maturity. I know that that's not fun and like you don't want to purpose your maturity. You just want to be spoon fed for the rest of your life and we welcome you. You're very welcome here. But that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for you to be a disciple Purposing your maturity because that's what a disciple is. It's someone who, who bears fruit. That's maturity. It's bearing fruit, guys. Second one. I will not be satisfied, not be satisfied. with a mediocre Christian life. I choose to live 
a significant Christian life. If the word says it, I believe it. If my life needs aligning, the Holy Spirit will show me and help me to do that. Jesus loves me and he loves the lost world I come in contact with. I'm an ambassador of Christ and not of my own kingdom. And then lastly, a good word is a challenging word. Amen. Amen. So again, like I was as I was preparing and just considering some of the again the word we're gonna get into, I just really felt stirred to to consider just a few things that, that we need to choose and purpose in our hearts with regards to just our walk with God and and really not just being about coming to church, receiving a good word and then going into our weeks, building our own kingdoms, making sure everything is kind of ticked off of our, our to-do list, missing every opportunity coming our way, not being bold and confident to create opportunities that don't even come our way. We don't want to live like that. We want to live significant Christian lives. I at least want to. But it's not going to come by accident. It's come, going to come by, by, by purpose, by intention. So being moved by the Spirit is very much, or being moved with compassion is, a, is very much just about being moved by the Spirit. And much of our lives, unfortunately, is being moved by everything but the Spirit. Being moved by circumstances. Maybe getting a, a, a pay cut. Then you move and you make specific decisions. Now, there's nothing wrong with amending and adjusting your budget when you get a pay, pay cut or whatever the case may be. But I'm talking about being moved in making spiritual decisions. Stepping out, not stepping out. Sharing with people, not sharing with people. Moving and going abroad to another country because our economy is not doing that well. Maybe that's a word for someone. That's not being moved by the Spirit unless God calls you. That's not being moved by the Spirit. It's being moved by your flesh. It's being moved by the temporal. Guess what? You can come into that other country and lose your job. That's what happens. So we cannot be moved by our flesh, by the carnal. We, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to move us. Galatians chapter 5. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. And then we'll jump down to verse 22. So popular passage of Scripture. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll get there in a moment. Galatians 5, 16 to 18 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. So two things there. There's, there's a lot that we can say about this. And I'm not going to teach on, on everything. But just for this morning. Walk in the spirit is something you need to purpose. Being led by the Spirit is something you need to purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. Consider in the, in the natural, right? When there's, when there's a leading and following relationship, whether it's work, whether it's 
friendship, whether it's marriage, whether whatever the case may be, even in, in sports, if there's a leading and a following relationship, the follower always has a choice whether they're going to be led or not. You guys get the, the concept? The same with the Holy Spirit. You are always going to get a choice whether you want to be led or not. In church family, I'm the shepherd of this family. I want to lead you. I want to lead you well. I might make mistakes. Probably not. Just joking guys, I've already made mistakes and I probably will make some more mistakes. It's not to make excuses for my mistakes, but I'm just being honest. I'm not perfect. In the spirit I am, I'm exactly identical to Jesus's because I've received his spirit. But I'm still growing and understanding what that means like and allowing that to come to the surface. Where was I going with that? Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is something you choose. Being led by someone is something you choose. When we choose it, when we choose to be led by the Spirit, when we choose to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you are consumed with and, and choosing to build your life around being led by the Spirit, considering eternity, being challenged with the Word, Guess what? When an economic crisis hits, it doesn't affect you deadly squat. Why? Because you're not considering the carnality of this world. You are considering walking in the Spirit, being a blessing. You can be a blessing and share the gospel with someone, whether you have a lot of money in your bank account, whether you've got nothing. Because going for a walk and bumping into people doesn't cost you anything. I'm going to say that again. Going for a walk, bumping into people doesn't need to cost you anything. But you get to go on that walk with the intention and the purpose of bumping into someone and engaging with them and seeing where they are at in their relationship with God. When we're walking in the Spirit, we will not be swayed by the fluctuation of circumstances, the economy. If we consider... Us as a church ministry, when, when lockdown happened and, and uh, a lot of things changed, before lockdown happened, we started considering what is church? What are we building? And so we were considering being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And guess what? We don't need to meet like this for us to enjoy church. It's nice to meet like this. It's great. It's amazing. There's a, there's a time and place for a gathering of the believers to be equipped. To receive teaching. All of that. That's good. But we were able to do that to a large degree without being able to meet in person. And we were strategic about bumping into people like on occasion. Like kind of we, we were kind of reading in between the lines and doing what not. Whatever we needed to do to continue having fellowship. But the point is this, we didn't close as a church. Some churches closed and they considered themselves closed. We didn't close down because no government, no natural thing can debunk what God has put into motion. If it can be debunked, God did not put it into motion. 
Consider that for a moment. If whatever you are building can be debunked, God didn't put his authority on that. He didn't put his stamp onto that. That's a challenging thought. Jumping down to verse 22. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Say divine love. Okay, so it's divine love that doesn't just kind of float around being nice and, and just not offending anyone and let's just kind of keep the peace. And It's the divine love expressed. Expressed means there's, there's, there's action. Express the joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails. Why would we need faith that prevails? Say prevail with me. What does prevail mean? It means overcome. But I thought Jesus came to solve my problems so that it can just be like a, a nice... So I can have a nice time here on earth and have like meetings like this and enjoy some coffee and maybe sing a few nice songs and have a goose bump and then go into my week and make some money and, and eat out, have fun, drink, be merry. Why does the word talk about faith that prevails? What kind? We need prevailing faith because there's some prevailing for the believer, for the Christian. And maybe you haven't encountered moments where you need to prevail. Here comes our truth, guys. Maybe you're living for something that is just carnal. Maybe you are a light hidden under a basket in the corner of the room, hoping no one sees you. That was not why Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. To become light inside of you. And for that light to come forth and be a blessing to the lost world. To shine forth into darkness. Faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless. Again, it's powerful. All in all. If we look at Galatians chapter 5 and what it's talking about is God's desire, God is, God's intent and His purpose was always for us to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded. To, to walk in oneness with Him, in unity with Him, allow Him to lead us. Because when He leads us, we'll walk out righteousness more so than any person who's ever lived under the law, trying to fulfill the law. God's desire from the beginning of time was not the law. The law came in because people rejected what God's desire was from the beginning. To walk in perfect relationship with Him. Receive His Spirit. From the beginning, the garden the tree of life. God's desire for Adam and Eve was to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. The law only came in much later with Moses. Who lived before Moses? Abraham. Abraham didn't get a law. 
Why not? Because he believed in God. And guess what was accounted to him? Righteousness. Before the law. That was just for free. Maybe someone is like uh, confused now. You can come and ask me afterwards. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. 14 to 16, and then from the Passion, then we look at verse 17. <coughs> verse 17 from King James. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Say mature with me. So the mature children of God, there's a, there's a characteristic to them. There's something to them. They are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. So if you turn that around, the immature children of God are those who are not moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Right? Who gets to determine whether you are mature or immature? Your pastor. That's not the answer. God. No. Who gets to determine whether you mature or whether you don't mature? You. The person standing in the mirror when you're standing in front of the mirror. The mature children of God are those who are moved by, those who are led by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. There's impulses. The, this, the, the Passion Translation beautifully illustrates this, this, this point that Jesus was referring to in John John chapter 4, um, the woman at the well, meeting the woman at the well, where he said that the, the Holy Spirit will become streams of living water inside of you, gushing forth, bringing about everlasting life. That's impulses. That is moving. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Again, it's not about religious duty. It's not about moving because of religious duty, because of fear of punishment, because the, the so-and-so said, I must stop doing this and I must start doing that. No, it's not that. It's being moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. It's not about religious duty. Leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned for as he rises within us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being. You are God's beloved child. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him. Oh, sorry, take that out. Um, that we may be also glorified together. Just joking, it can't be taken out. If the Word says it, I believe it. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him. Say suffer. Jesus said, not Etienne, not whoever, Jesus. Jesus said, in this life, you will have persecution, suffering. But, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now we can experience that overcoming. We can experience the, 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 the benefit of our salvation. 
when we are spiritually minded, when we choose to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? A lot of believers are overcome. They're not enjoying the latter part of Jesus' statement that be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Why are they not enjoying the latter part of that statement? Because they are carnally minded, not being led by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. Let's dig a little bit into this concept of, of inheritance and heirs because oftentimes we hear the word inheritance and heirship and you think, man, that's, that's amazing. Like inheritance, like if, if I was the son of Bill Gates, for example, and, and I would get an inheritance, it would be amazing. Like money and cars and fame and whatever the case may be. So oftentimes when we, when we read these words, heirs and inheritance and and we're thinking like, man, God created this world, so all of the world, gold and the earth is technically God's, and all of the money in this world is technically God's. So if it comes to inheritance and things like that, then man, it's looking good for us as believers. <laughs> yeah, that is a that's a, a misunderstanding of the will of God, a misunderstanding of of context words etc so if we dig a little bit deeper into this concept of inheritance and heirs we have to firstly come to this this point and as we see in romans being an heir or having an inheritance is, is firstly meaning that we are part of a family there's a family there's a we 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 sons of something we are son of god we are daughter of god so we're part of the family so that's amazing that box is thick but consider this what's the family business Think about it before you just have a jerk reaction answer in your heart. What's the family business? If we're talking about heirship, if we're talking about inheritance, what's the family business? Is it about accumulating wealth? Is it about reaping up and heaping up for yourself riches here on earth? What's the family business? It's people. People restored to God. So how is that applicable to us having this inheritance, being heirs of this? We'll get there in a moment. Is the family business, business going to be easy? No. There's suffering involved. There's persecution involved. There's rejection involved. The family business and the treasures of the family is people. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The only treasures in heaven is you and me. Those who have not yet received Christ. That is the treasures and that's the family business. How do you find a treasure? Anyone seen any uh, treasure kind of hunting movies recently? There's some good ones out there. National Treasure and Fool's Gold and all of these ones. If there's any scenes in there that is inappropriate, like I apologize. Um, I watched the PG-13 version of those. Um, I'm joking. Like I said, I'm not perfect. Um, 
How do you find a treasure? You seek a treasure. Right? How do you find gold? You mine gold. What do you find before you find the gold? A lot of dirt. But you keep pushing forward. You keep mining because you know there's something. There's gold out there. There's people out there that's gold. But they, they're full of dirt. The only way that they're going to be found is by you going out and mining for them. That's the family business. That's the treasures that God is calling us to be partakers of. Continuing on this, this, this tangent of the, the inheritance, just to kind of seal this concept and kind of uh, wash out any doctrinally incorrect beliefs that you have about inheritance and whatnot. Galatians 3.29 And if you be Christ's, that's all of us, if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Our heirship is about the promise. Not the promises, the promise. What promise did God make to Abraham? Through your seed, the nations of the earth will be blessed. What seed was that? Was it money? Sowing and reaping? No, that seed is Jesus. Jesus, and as we see early on in Galatians chapter 3, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the inheritance that we have inside of us. And that is what God wants the rest of this world to experience. That's why the family business is about taking this and sharing this with the world. Ephesians 3.6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Again, beautiful how the Gentiles came into this the same blessing. Being partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Just those few words wrapped together, that's the whole teaching. The promise in Christ by the gospel. The gospel is about the promise. The gospel is about Jesus. The message of the Bible. There's no other gospel. There's distorted, deceptive versions of the gospel in the church. If it's not about Jesus dying, Jesus being raised from the dead, and Jesus' spirit living in you, it's not the gospel. It might be in the Bible. But the Bible has one message. And it's Jesus. Hebrews 11 verse 9, coming to close. Hold on to your seats. Hebrews 11, 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as a stranger in a country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they did not receive the promise. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of the verse, it says, All of these great men of faith, they received a good report. You can receive a good report. By doing good to the people and being a nice person, being kind, whatnot, and that's great. Keep being a good person. Keep being kind. But all of these men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that they received a good report, but they did not receive the promise. 
Because Jesus did not yet come to die, be raised from the dead, and pouring out his spirit. That is the promise. That is our inheritance. But God this, the desire, desired for us from the beginning of time. 1 Peter 3 7. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That's where the, the, the ministry's name came from. The grace of life. Grace life. No, I'm joking. Um, but it's... We are heirs together of the grace of life. That your prayers be not hindered. Now there's a lot in this verse. And again, we're not going to get into all of it. But I just want to zone into this, this understanding again. For us as, as believers in marriage relationships, in, in life in general, in friendships... The airing that God desires for us to enjoy, the airship, the inheritance, is the one that comes through the gospel, the grace of God, the gift of life. That is what it is all about, what it's always been about. If we continue in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings, say sufferings, for I reckon that the suffering, so this is Paul speaking, right guys? He's got a whole resume of suffering that he went through. Imprisonment, being shipwrecked, having no food, being beaten, being thrown with pebbles. Now I'm joking, it wasn't pebbles, it was rocks. Rocks that you needed to open up your hand to pick up. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which, we sh which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's a suffering for us to, to endure, to overcome in this present life. And that suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now there's a glory that, that is going to be revealed in us and through us at the, at the second coming of Christ. But there's also a glory for us to experience right now and be revealed through us right now. That verse 19 says, For the world waits for this manifestation, for you and me to be moved with compassion, to be moved by the Spirit. And I'm not talking about a compassion that is benevolence, giving and kindness and feeding the poor and all of those things. If the unbeliever can do it, if the unbeliever can do it, then we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with what the unbeliever can do. The unbeliever, guess what they cannot do? They cannot give people the source of life, Jesus. We shouldn't be competing with the unbelieving world and what they are building and fighting for and being moved by, calling it love. If it doesn't impact people's eternities, it is not true love. Because God's kind of love died, made a way. To impact people's, not only their temples, but their eternals. Acts 1.8 demonstrates and shows this to us. says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
So this empowering, again, it's a force. We talked about being moved with a force, with power. You receive power, so it's ability, force, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And because of that, you will be my witnesses unto me, not unto yourself, not your kingdom, not your dreams, not your goals, but unto Jesus. It's His business, and His business is about people, about family. So the Spirit's empowering and the Spirit's moving is for that purpose. To the whole world. To be reunited with God. With His Spirit. Because that's God's desire for the world to be saved. And to come to knowledge of the truth. Last verse. Matthew 11 verse 28. From the Message Translation. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Again, religious, religion will burn you out and will tie you out. Come to me, Jesus says, and he invites us, come to him. And it's not about being united with him, we are united with him, we already once spurred with him, but in our minds and our thinking, we can be disconnected from God. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. What does that say? Be led by me, follow me. Walk with me and work with me. Man, Jesus, I thought you were all about like sitting back, relaxing, and just uh, kind of taking a chill, drinking a cup of ice, coffee. <laughs> walk with me and work. Say work. Work with me. Co-labor with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's unforced, but there is a force. There is a rhythm. There is a leading of the Holy Spirit. And it won't be anything heavy or ill-fitting. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Living freely and lightly doesn't mean we're not going to do anything, sit on the couch, watch a lot of teaching, listen to a lot of teachers, become the spiritually well-rehearsed Christians. What happens when you eat a lot of food on the couch? You get some gains, and it's not good gains. It's not like gym gains, it's different gains. There's a lot of believers that are having a lot of gains, but they're spiritually obese. Because they're not working it. They're not co-laboring. They're bearing no fruit whatsoever. Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love moves. Love does something. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we start living from this place of, of being moved by the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to lead us, challenge us, man, then we start to live freely and lightly. Then we start to experience life in its fullness as Jesus came to die for us. But until then, man, life is going to be heavy. Life is going to be a burden. Life is going to be boring. But we get to live significant lives by allowing the Spirit of God in us to move us.
move us into action. And not just carnal action, action that impacts people's eternities. If you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to visit us at one of our gatherings. To find out more, please contact us at info at gracelife.co or visit us at gracelife.co.